to the mystical realm of things that make you go woo. I'm your host, Emily, also known as Emily and Her Stars, an evolutionary astrologer, psychic medium, an insightful 6-4 projector who specializes in channeling cosmic messages that will unlock the boundless potential within you. When I'm not working with my amazing clients, I'm on a quest to unravel the sacred mysteries and ancient origins of the woo. Join me as we explore the rich tapestry of history, unfolding current events, captivating interviews, and sacred wisdom in the monthly energy reports. Brace yourself because this podcast is all about making you go woo too. Hey everybody, welcome back. Gosh, can you believe it? We're heading into the back to school vibes already. And for me, it always leaves me feeling a little bit nostalgic for school supplies and like those first day of school jitters. Maybe not so much losing my schedule or forgetting my locker combo, but it definitely makes me think of slumber parties too. Now, I don't know what boys did at slumber parties, but if you were a girl like me in the 80s, chances are you spent the entire night trying to contact dead people. (laughs) I'm not kidding, right? We would literally try to talk to spirits all night, traumatize ourselves, and then get up early and go to Girl Scouts like nothing ever happened. I mean, (laughs) we're talking full seances, right? Trying to contact dead people. Although most of the time it was probably just someone's grandparents or like the odd aunt or uncle. (laughs) But sometimes we dare one another to go into a dark bathroom and say Bloody Mary three times and wait until you saw her face in the mirror, which none of us ever saw because we never stayed in the bathroom long enough. (laughs) And I joke now thinking that, you know, she was probably a really nice lady in spirit who just got ding dong ditched by little shits every weekend. So apologies to you, Mary. Of course, there was also the Ouija board at any good slumber party. And I tried to fit it into this episode, but that dang board is going to get an entire episode all of its own like down the road a bit. So for now, we're just going to dive into what I remember at slumber parties, light as a feather, stiff as a board. I mean, right? Come on. We were, are we like straight up reincarnated witches or what? If you were never traumatized by this at a sleepover, I'm going to walk you through the finer points. The object of the exercise is to levitate one of your friends. Just normal girl stuff, right? (laughs) The particulars of the game vary slightly depending on the house and participants, but it usually goes something like this. Number one, someone would have to volunteer to lay on their back in the middle of the circle of girls and pretend to be dead. Number two, The chosen one, this dead girl, places her head in someone's lap who would then start to rub her temples and ask for a ghost to take over her body. Her arms were usually crossed and over her chest. And number three, the friends gather around and everyone puts two fingers, mind you, this is the pointer and the index, from each hand under the chosen dead girl in the center. They then all try to lift, there is much giggling, and they fail. (laughs) 
But then the leader, right, this person in charge, calls for silence. Maybe she lights some candles. Maybe she does some sort of ritual chant. Most often it was this sort of call and response. So the chant would be like, she's going pale. She's going pale. She's looking worse. She's looking worse. She's dying. Ooh, she's dying. She's dead. She's dead. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. No matter the exact phrasing, the repeated mantra of light as a feather, stiff as a board was the most integral part. And this is the part that is repeated over and over in unison as all the girls attempt the levitation again. The goal being number six, if a ghost took over said dead girl's body, she would then start to levitate and they would magically be able to lift her off of the floor. I probably don't need to explain to you why for a certain kind of slumber partier, this is much preferable to calling up boys and hanging up. Personally, I was all about light as a feather, stiff as a board. (laughs) But where did this odd ritual ever come from, right? Who thought of this? It wasn't just some weird cousin's distant friend in a different state. We know that there are places where some of these stories come from. Now, folk historians aren't certain of the exact origins, but they do know that it's been around for hundreds of years. The earliest known recorded reference to it can be found in the Diary of Samuel Pepys, which you are probably no doubt familiar if you have ever taken a class on the Restoration. In his early entry in July 31st of 1665, Pepys recounts a story told to him by one Mr. Brisband, a good scholar and sober man, as the two were speaking of enchantments and spells, Brisband's contribution to their conversation was the spell which he encountered in Bordeaux. Now, I'm not going to read you the French version, but it essentially goes, here lies a dead body, stiff as a stick, cold as marble, light as a spirit, rise in the name of Jesus Christ. Pepys writes that Brisband saw four little girls, very young ones, all kneeling, each of them on one knee, and began the first line whispering in the ear of the next, and to the second, and to the third, and to the fourth, and then back to the first. Then the first person started the second line, and again it was repeated through whisper around through in each girl. All of these girls putting each one finger only to a boy that lay flat upon his back on the ground as if he was dead. And at the end of the words, they did with their four fingers raise this boy as high as they could reach. Now, Brisbane reported that he figured it must be a trick and challenged the girls in their magic, bidding the boy move aside for the cook of the house, a very lusty fellow. But much to his surprise, the little girls raised him up in just the same manner. This is one of the strangest things I've ever heard, Peeps writes, but he tells it me of his own knowledge, and I do heartily believe it to be true. I inquired of him whether they were Protestant or Catholic girls, and he told me they were Protestant, which made it even more strange to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> Catholics, of course, being somewhat more invested in miracles, which is not to mention that one of the most famous levitators of legend was himself a Catholic saint, St. Joseph of Cupertino, though peeps probably didn't know about him because Cupertino died in 1663 and wasn't canonized until nearly 100 years later when everyone was already dead. But the footnotes of Pepys' diary explain that the levitation ritual described by Brisband was especially popular during times of plague outbreak, which makes a certain kind of sense, right? 1665, the year of Pepys' diary entry, was also the year of the Great Plague in London. This would be the last major plague outbreak in Europe, though Pepys could not have known that at the time. There was no way. By the time of his writing, the plague had already killed millions of people, including a million in France, where Brisband witnessed the girls playing between 1628 and 1631. And if children are suddenly surrounded by death, it's no surprise it would sneak into their games. I mean, hello, <laughs> ring around the rosy, pocket full of posy, ashes, ashes, we all fall down, has a direct link to the Great Plague. To us, light as a feather, stiff as a board might feel spooky, but for them, it could have been existentially reassuring. Look, our friend is dead, but we can make him rise again. In her essay, Levitation Revisited, folk historian Elizabeth Tucker writes that there are actually no clear records of how children responded to the plague, and no evidence that tells us whether the increasing awareness of death that they must have had during this time ever explicitly appeared in their games. That said, she writes, we should note that Sylvia Ann Grinder's point that the images of burials and corpses wrapped in winding sheets were familiar to young survivors of the plague, and that the contemporary image of a ghost in a white sheet may have originated during the plague years. In another book, in Once Upon a Virus, Diane e. Goldstein describes a child in the midst of a game of tag saying, Tag, you've got AIDS. This description, as well as a line from Barney Died from HIV in children's song parodies, shows how easily children's concerns about epidemics become part of their songs and games. Basically, it's not strange that this happens. Of course, light as a feather, stiff as a board isn't true levitation. It's simple physics. The lift doesn't work on the first try because everyone is giggling and uncoordinated. It only works when each member of the group is lifting at the exact same time, distributing the weight equally. A human body might seem like a heavy thing to lift with two fingers apiece, even when you have four, six, eight people lifting. But think about it. Your fingers are actually pretty strong, and the world record for the heaviest deadlift with the pinky finger is 242 pounds. Pinky pull-ups are a real thing. <laughs> we just get so caught up in the moment that we don't think it through and we're only children. And so it seems strange. It's a spooky atmosphere. Your friend is pretending to be dead. You're all pretending they really did die. There's chanting that reminds you of a scary movie. And it's probably dark. It's the perfect recipe for a situation where you can ignore physics and start to think that witchcraft is really at work. 
These days, of course, that power, like so many others, is flexed in digital spaces. YouTube and internet culture have changed the way light as a feather, stiff as a board, and other childhood rituals are circulated. Since the 17th century, at least, right, the children underground has kept levitation alive. For many years, few adults noticed children in the basement lifting each other late at night, but now levitation belongs to YouTube and TikTok. When I was young, there was no way to verify these kinds of legends. You had to actually try them. And sure, maybe you didn't really believe that if you said Bloody Mary three times in the bathroom mirror, she would appear, but there was room for doubt, for experimentation. There was room for magic. There's much less room for all of that if you can see a thousand other kids have done the same thing on YouTube. When my friends and I said red rum three times or called for Bloody Mary or asked grandparents for messages on a Ouija board, we were in control of our own destiny. This time where we were overwhelmed by growing up and our powerlessness inside of our own tiny worlds. But the one thing it reaffirmed was our connection to one another. You had to be there to see it. And that power in living the actual legend made us magic beyond our years. Have a great one, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Things That Make You Go Woo. You can find out more about this episode and how to work with me at emilyandherstars.com or come join the incredible sacred community at thirdeyelibrary.com. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time.